Today's word is socialism. We'll talk about it and its role in the present debate over the Alpine School District's official mission, goals, and values. Welcome to this podcast of David Rodeback's blog at localcommentary.com. I'm David Rodeback. It's Friday, October 15th, 2010, and today's title is What the Words Mean, Part 4, Socialism. I've held forth at some length recently on the meanings of the words republic and democracy, which are of interest to Americans generally, and which have also here at home been at the center of a heated debate over the Alpine School District's official statements of its mission, goals, and values. The debate is confusing and off-putting for many, in part because it sometimes takes a combative tone, but also because one side has directed a great deal of energy toward artificially narrow definitions of democracy and republic, We are told that a republic is good and a democracy is bad. End of story. Neither concept is that simple, and the part about democracy being bad rings false to a lot of people who love both their country and their freedom. If the activists were more careful with their terminology, they'd say that a certain kind of republic, our kind, the democratic constitutional republic, is good, and we need to understand and preserve it. And a certain kind of democracy our kind, the liberal, constitutional, representative democracy, is good, and we should understand and preserve that, too. They'd say that we should be careful not to be diverted to either direct or social democracy, both of which really are bad, and one of which is a major feature of the Alpine School District's official goals and values. The movement could put itself on a sound theoretical footing by adjusting its arguments in two ways. Opposing social democracy specifically, instead of insisting that all democracy is evil, and explaining social democracy without calling it Marxism. Besides sounding too extreme and too alarmist for the circumstances, Marxism actually is a different road to socialism. The movement's alarm over socialism is at least partially justified, but its influence is compromised by imprecise and incorrect terminology. Admittedly, it's difficult to wrestle with terms like socialism and communism, if you don't mind me throwing that one into the soup very briefly. Historically, they are evolving concepts, used in different ways at different times, in different places, and by different people with widely divergent agendas. Yet we must generalize, to avoid this blog post becoming as long as a book, so we will do so carefully with a broad view of the history and theories of socialism. To begin, I have some good news. We don't really have to talk or worry about communism in this discussion. Though some other varieties of it have been practiced on a small scale, communism as it has been institutionalized at the national level in Russia, China, and elsewhere is not distinguishable from socialism. The Soviets, for example, generally used the terms communism, socialism, and for that matter, Marxism and Marxism-Leninism essentially interchangeably. So, to avoid further confusion, I will use here only the word socialism, not the word communism. Next, and this might be bad news, I must tell you that social democracy is not a kinder, gentler socialism. It may be a kinder, gentler, or at least more subtle path to socialism, but it actually leads, and is intended to lead, to the same socialism, a society in which wealth and other opportunities are redistributed by force of law to achieve a distribution which someone decides is fair, just, and in some sense equal. These principles are often packaged and sold as social justice, which sounds like an honorable idea, but is nearly always, at least in serious discussion, a part of the socialist program. In any case, 
This forced redistribution and forced equality happen at the expense of freedom, as is always the case when a government attempts to enforce equality of outcomes. If you'll indulge some personal chatter for a moment, I'll note that I've been taught by various stripes of self-proclaimed socialists, including members of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union when I was studying mostly the Russian language in Moscow, and distinguished professors in the Ivy League when I was doing graduate work in Russian literature, Russian history, and political thought at Cornell. Happily, my parents, Ronald Reagan, Alexis de Tocqueville, and a few others got to me first and made sense, so that all of this fine socialist instruction informed but did not sway me. For what it's worth, my mother was the primary political philosopher at home. She had little patience for socialism, but she had studied it carefully. Imagine talk of Fabian socialism at the family dinner table, if you can. My own library includes many of the classic works of socialism, most of which are all marked up as a testament to careful reading. If you need me to cite a single, concise source from my library for the bulk of this discussion, I'd choose the excellent Blackwell Encyclopedia of Political Thought. I turn to it often. There are three roads to socialism, Marxism, social democracy, and a middle road, which I'm sorry to say is rather confusingly called democratic socialism. Before we look briefly at each of these, let's remove one point of possible confusion. If you study Marx carefully, you may encounter something he called social democracy, but it's much different from the social democracy we're discussing here. In fact, the social democracy which concerns us began as an effort to describe a way other than Marx's to achieve socialism, because thinkers quickly found some serious problems with Marx's theories at points where they should have intersected with economic and political realities. Now, here are the essentials. In Marxism, socialism is achieved by revolution, and it involves government ownership of the national economy. When capitalism is sufficiently advanced, so the theory goes, this revolution will burst forth suddenly and violently, led by the people, who will then take over the economy, the means of production, and establish a totalitarian government with broad powers to impose its will on the population and the economy. Totalitarianism is required in order to impose and preserve the necessary changes, and it's okay in principle, proponents will argue, because it's done in the name of the people. In any case... The key features here are revolution and government ownership of the economy. In social democracy, socialism is achieved by evolution, not revolution. Rather than Marx's prophesied sudden full flowering of socialism when the time for revolution is ripe, social democracy looks for and actively pursues the achievement of one socialist objective at a time. It is a protracted process, not a discrete event. It contemplates a long period of social reform by democratic means, again, not by revolution. In social democracy, there is no decisive break with capitalism, nor is there outright state ownership of the entire economy. Rather, there is extensive government intervention in and control of the economy. For what it's worth, labor unions are co-opted to play a prominent role in the evolution. If this description of social democracy sounds familiar, I'm not surprised. President Obama has governed as what he appeared to be before the 2008 election, a social democrat. In 2008, I blogged on this very topic under the title, Obama, Communist, Marxist, Socialist. The middle road to socialism, called democratic socialism, resembles Marxism in that it contemplates government ownership of the economy, not just extensive control and regulation. But, like social democracy, it pursues socialism by democratic means, instead of Marx's revolution. 
It's important to remember, so I will emphasize again, that Marxism, social democracy, and democratic socialism are not different ends. They are not ends at all. They are different means to the same end, socialism. The 20th century proved over and over again what the Obama administration has only begun to prove in this century. Socialism is hostile to human freedom, and its commitment to self-government, if any, is not lasting or deep. Accused of promoting socialism through their wholesale adoption of John Goodlad's program, Alpine school district officials have denied that this is their aim. I believe them. I don't think most of these good people yet realize how social democracy fits into the picture, and the generalized attack on the word democracy has failed to make that clear. In response to the ongoing assault, someone at the district has modified material at the district's website, removing some of the words that offend people without otherwise departing from the establishment's pet educational philosopher, and I am told without the prior approval of the school board. There have also been revisions to the district's mission statement. The barbarous jargon word enculturating is gone, and we're left with this. Educating all students to ensure the future of our democracy. Leaving the word democracy there is enough to anger the other side, which, as I have said, needs to broaden its understanding of democracy and narrow its attack to the bad kind of democracy Goodlad advocates, social democracy. Otherwise, this language is a considerable improvement. Language currently on the mission statement page at the district website explains one of the district's moral dimensions of teaching, also borrowed from Goodlad, as follows. Quote, number two, public education has a responsibility to teach children the social and political skills they need to successfully contribute in America's culture of freedom, law, and responsibility. Close quote. This is relatively inoffensive. In fact, it's pretty good though I'd prefer they didn't split an infinitive, and I'd rather they spoke of a responsibility to help parents teach children social and political skills. Unfortunately, in the next paragraph, the statement goes all the way back to where they were before. It begins, quote, The phrase, enculturating the young into a social and political democracy, is the formal language for principle number two above. Close quote. The political democracy there still grates on a lot of people, though, again, it is technically correct. Opponents would get more traction if they'd simply pass by this one and focus their efforts on social democracy, which is the real problem here. It is, if I may say so, a large enough dragon all by itself. A tighter focus on social democracy would probably help to loosen the district's death grip on democracy in general. With the exception of Tim Osborne, who is all over this issue, the members of the Alpine School Board do not want to grapple with philosophy. They're not card-carrying social democrats, I think. But they're also not well enough versed in all of this to understand what the real problem is. Teach these officials one concept, social democracy, and teach it clearly, and help them understand that they don't get to define it in their own benign, convenient, Utah-friendly way, because it already has a clear, widely accepted meaning, and let them keep their political democracy in the bargain. Maybe then they'll be willing to let go of the really bad stuff. I don't suspect most of the district's administrators, teachers, and other staff of being committed social democrats either. I suspect them of being good people with values much different from social democracy, who have not yet devoted the necessary time and intellectual effort to understand what social democracy is and to grasp that to promote it is to promote socialism. Many of these good people are simply too busy doing their jobs, notably including teaching their students, to devote much time to philosophy. That's probably a good thing, particularly since so many of them are doing excellent work. 
The simple fact of the matter is, until you dig a little, social democracy and social justice sound like happy things, not mortal threats to individual freedom. If people in the Alpine School District generally fully understood these concepts, there would be thousands of parents and others protesting, not dozens. But if this were generally understood, ironically, they wouldn't have to protest much. The district on its own initiative, with little or no prodding, would arrange for its official commitment to social democracy to disappear, not only from its website, a cosmetic change to be sure, but also from its educational philosophy. What does this mean where the present Alpine School Board election is concerned? I'm glad you asked. I think we voters should keep the board member who understands all this and who wants the board to step up to its full role in governing the school district on the people's behalf, including setting a mission, goals, and values which reflect the community's values more than social democracy does. In American Fork and a corner of Pleasant Grove, this means re-electing Tim Osborne. In place of the other board members, we should elect challengers of the same persuasion. We should keep doing this until we have a majority of board members who are willing to debate and take control of the district's educational and political philosophy and stop ingesting unreflectively whatever some administrator or other puts before them. I'm sure the other current board members are good people who mean well, work hard, and care about children and their education, and that they serve both willingly and at some personal sacrifice, just like Tim Osborne. But we need the good people on our school board also to have a larger vision of the board's role as the people's representatives. We need them to be willing and able to grapple with educational and political philosophy on the people's behalf. This is one guy's opinion, at least. This has been a podcast of David Rodeback's blog at localcommentary.com. It is copyrighted 2010, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.